Welcome to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I am your host, Paul Randack, and this week we are here with April Stoddard. Hi, April. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and as we usually always do start out our podcast, we're going to take a little time and get to know April and, and her story. And I mean, this, this is my, these are my words, of course, April, but the idea of what makes you a, just another bozo on the bus. So it's all yours. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and, and give us, give us a, a little bit about yourself. Salt Lake, right? Yeah, I, I grew up in Salt Lake. Okay. Um, I was born crying. And I cried my whole life. I see. My nickname was uh, Boo Boo Bear because I cried. Who gave you that nickname? My sister. She still calls me Boo. Is your sister older then? She's five years older than me. All right. Okay. Um, I had a sister and a brother. We spent a lot of time together. Mm Mm-hmm. It was like the three of us against the world. And and uh, mom and dad at home? Or? So my mom was a single mom. Oh. Okay. I've never met my dad. Um, but you, you know who he is, right? Or no? I know of him. You know of him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one time when I was growing up, he was at my house working on our roof, and I didn't even recognize him. Oh. That's I, interesting. I'd never seen him before up to that point. Hmm. Okay. Um, I grew up in a chaotic home. What's that mean? What, what do you mean by chaotic? Uh, mm, Drugs, sex, and rock and roll. Okay. <laughs> do, and, and do you know when, this, when, when that started? Do you remember how old you were when you kind of began to realize that or... I was young. I remember the first big party I remember, I think I was about four. Mm-hmm. And I remember it because they were all really, really drunk. And I stood against the stove in the kitchen and my hair caught on fire. What? Yeah. So, And I took off running because I was scared. Uh-huh. And everybody chased me and I just remember they were all over the place and it was weird. Yeah. They were all intoxicated on some substance, uh, and they're chasing a young girl whose hair's on fire. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty dramatic. I can imagine. Um, I remember being on my own a lot, spending a lot of time alone and a lot of time with my brother. Mm-hmm. So not all of my youngest memories are bad. A lot of them are good. Okay. Or from my perspective, I thought they were good. Yeah. Well, I mean... So maybe from a perspective, from your perspective, did you feel safe? When I was with a sibling, I did. Mm-hmm. But I remember a lot of time I did not feel safe. Okay. So does that mean you spent a lot of time alone? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And where was mom? Who knows? <laughs> I don't think she even knows. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't remember. I mean, no. Okay. <laughs> But she, what you're saying is that there were times that you were unsupervised when you were very young. Yeah, it was my sister's job to take care of us. She worked a lot, and then after work, she was still not present. Okay. Um, I don't really even know where, where she was. I just know I was with my brother and sister a lot. Have you ever asked her? She has uh, some short memory issues. <laughs> <laughs> long term memory issues. Long term memory. Okay, that's long. That would be long term memory. Short term memory would be what you and I are talking about right now, <laughs> which I don't. I'm not sure I'm going to remember. But anyway, so she doesn't always remember where she was. No. So which makes that, which leads to you thinking that maybe she was under the influence or using at that time. Yeah. 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 And have you ever talked to her about this? I have, and she denies it. Um, I think we paint a picture in our heads of what it looked like, mm-hmm. and our stories don't line up. Uh-huh. So. That's that's not uncommon with parents and, and children, and children have a much different, often can have a much different experience than what their childhood is like than what the parent remembers it as. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily invalid in any way, right? So, okay. So what's what, what? What do you? When do you remember sort of some of this changing um, the dynamics if they did at all at home? 
So my mom sobered up when I was 10. And I remember thinking, it's going to get better. Uh-huh. And it didn't. It got hmm. worse. What do you, what do you mean it she, got worse? She was present and trying to be a parent, and I didn't know how to have a parent up to that point. Because for 10 years, you had been pretty much on your own, or you under the care of your right. sister. Right. Okay. And how did that roll with your sister? What was that like? Was it she was always the caretaker, or did you switch roles with her from time to time? So when I was younger, um, she was she was the caretaker. Mm-hmm. But then as I got older, we switched roles. It's kind of like she took care of me, and then I took care of her when she got into her own addiction. Okay. Okay, so you're 10 years old, mom's back i'm spending more time with you what was that like with with mom and you didn't know what it was like to be supervised by a parent right and um by the way how'd you guys take care of like meals and shit my mom cooked periodically (laughs) we ate a lot of top ramen because we could the college life we could cook that ourselves okay um I don't remember having like scheduled meals. There wasn't breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We just ate when we were hungry. Uh huh. So, so top ramen. I'm gonna guess you probably had some cereal in the house. Cereal, grilled cheese, quesadillas. Okay, the 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 the, the three food groups. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the four: top ramen, <laughs> cereal. Uh, grilled cheese and quesadilla, which the last two are pretty close because they have <laughs> cheese and flour <laughs> instead of a tortilla you're using. Yeah, bread. All right. Um, and when did, you know, as, as far as growing up, when did you begin to, I mean, you already had differentiated, you know, you already had somewhat of a separate life from your mom. When did you feel that, that you started, began to go out on your own a little bit more, you know, as far as differentiating from... Your family. When did you start getting into trouble, April? (laughs) So my mom remarried when I was 10, and that's what changed. So all of a sudden, I have a dad. Mm -hmm. And it was awkward. It was weird. It was like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Like, I I liked the idea, but I didn't understand what it meant. All of a sudden, I have a mom and a dad. (laughs) And adjusting to having a mom around full-time was already different enough. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I got into trouble, but I started going that direction probably 14, 15. I hit puberty, and I was off and running. Yeah. What what was that like? That is when my eating disorder started, 14. That was like my first escape. And and how did it manifest? What, what what were you doing? It started out with skipping meals, and then I decided I liked food, so it would be easier to purge, <laughs> binge and purge. Mm-hmm. Did did you figure this out on your own, or did did you have anyone that talk you talked about it, or you learned from anyone? So one of the moments that kind of like triggered this was mm-hmm. we had gone school shopping, and my mom asked me what size I was in. I thought she was saying I was fat, and that's kind of where I started, like, thinking about, like, oh, I am fat. Mm-hmm. Like, she asked if I was in a size 5, and I was wearing a 0, and I thought I thought she was saying you were fat. Mm. I don't ever remember hearing anybody say you are fat, because I weighed 90 pounds. <laughs> but you internalized it yourself? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you began to... Binge and perch. Yeah. What What were you binging on? At first, it was just regular food. Whatever was for lunch, whatever was for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, I started binging and purging at school. Um, and it just became more frequent. I moved it from my house to out in the world. Did you at school? Um, this is a this is always a fascinating dynamic. Is Binging, taking that on in school because the, obviously the goal is not to have anyone in there, but um, 
uh, I've had a number of people say that, you know, they were in the bathroom and nobody knew they were in there and they heard people coming in and throwing up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and knowing that, that that's what they were doing. Did you have any of the experiences like that? Um, I was a silent puker. <laughs> that's my nickname. <laughs> the silent puker. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's terrible, but it's also funny at the same time. If I ever got busted or found out someone was in there, I would just be like, oh, I'm sick. Okay. okay. And just play it off as I was. I didn't feel well. And how long did this go on for? Most of my life. Okay. I'd say 15, 16 years. Oh. Okay. Well, we'll come back around to that. So you, this, you started out, this is... Around 14, you, you started out with the, the the eating disorders. And then what did that lead into? Drugs and alcohol. And when, <laughs> when was your... Tell us about your first experiences with drugs. So the first time I got drunk was New Year's 2000. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Hmm. I felt like, like I could breathe. Hmm. Um... It was great. It was everything I thought it was going to be. It was everything I wanted. I felt alive. Did you? Is this something you had planned? No. The neighbor had showed up with alcohol, and my friends didn't want to drink, and I was like, here we go. I see. <laughs> <laughs> I see. And how, and how long did it take from that? Did you know right on the first drink? So... I didn't drink again for almost a year. I didn't drink. I didn't use any drugs until I hit roughly 17. So at 17, I started drinking, and it was instant. The drugs were introduced. I went from drug to drug to drug. What was the first drug you used when you? So besides the, alcohol. Besides alcohol, the first drug I ever did was cocaine. Mm-hmm. I'd never even smoked pot before. Mm-hmm. Cocaine and ecstasy. Ecstasy seemed okay because it was just a pill, and once you take ecstasy, you're happy enough. Cocaine looks great. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> okay, so you're you're going along. You're being introduced to these these different drugs. You're starting. Um, alcohol's becoming regular, and then you start branching out. Where did things go from there? It went downhill fast. Um, What's fast? I went from doing ecstasy and cocaine to smoking crack and meth. Wow. It escalated. And this is all 17. Yeah, it escalated in like six months. Mm. It's like once I did one drug, it didn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. Were all your friends using drugs? Or before this, did you have friends that didn't use? I started hanging out with my sister. Oh. And my sister was using. Okay. And had she been using then for a while, or was this... Yeah, my sister started using when she was about 10. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And how, you're how, you, how many years apart? Five. Five, okay. What did she start using at 10, do you know? It was drinking and smoking pot. Okay. I think by 12 it was meth. Okay. And, of course, neither of you had much supervision. Mm-mm. And, if anything, she was the one that was supposed to be kind of caring for you right so back then even what was it like you guys would get up in the morning go to school i mean you're five years old and yeah i loved school Mm -hmm. school felt normal it felt it wasn't chaotic it wasn't all like going to school okay okay so um you started using your sister we started using with fam your sister and then um how did things progress from there you went very quickly so from from just drinking and, and, and some coke to um, crack and, and meth, how was how, how long of a period of time was that? It was probably about six months, if that. Okay. And then, so tell us about what that was like, making that, that jump and beginning to use it those was, drugs. It was fun at first. At first, it was, it was fun. Mm-hmm. I liked the social aspect of it. I could talk to people. It was great. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I crossed a line and it became, I need it in order to function. And I don't remember crossing that line. I just remember all of a sudden I was like, 
how the fuck did I get here? Mm-hmm. So you did notice. You did notice this, though. Yeah. So it was. It did come into your awareness. I. I. I, I need to have this to be normal now. Mm-hmm. And was this still when you were seventeen? Uh probably seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. It went on for a few years. Well, where were mom and stepdad at this point? When <clears throat> I was seventeen, I'm not really sure where they were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they were there, but I think I was un- unaware at that point. But what I'm, I'm just saying, they didn't notice any... Well, maybe, you know, I mean, Mm-mm. they didn't notice anything? Or, no. Huh. No. At that point, I was full-on bulimic, full-on into drugs and alcohol. Uh-huh. And nobody ever said anything. Hmm. Like, hey, there may be a problem here. I still went to school. Still had a job, did what I was supposed to do. Were you so you were working too? Mm-hmm. School working and being a uh, a full time drug addict. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good it takes, times. It takes a lot of time management <laughs> skills. I'm a multitasker. <laughs> multitasker. Okay. I know we laugh and we laugh and joke about this, and this is of of course you know the, the past story. But um, so where where what happened at this point? You the, the where did the progression go? I ended up being arrested for distribution. With the progression of the drugs, I had decided that the meth and the crack was making me crazy. Mm-hmm. And so I switched to prescriptions. Which ones? Oxycontin, Xanax, Ativan. Okay, so you went to more to the depressant, sedative yeah, side of things. bring me down a little yeah. bit. You went from the stimulants to the... Yeah. To the and you thought that would make things uh, a little better. I felt like I could function better. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you you went to pills, and so what were you? The, you were arrested and charged with distribution because why? Why? Why distribution? I was selling oxycotton. Oh, because you were selling. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, I mean that makes more sense. By the time I got to the oxycotton phase, I was unemployed. I'm not sure I was employable at that point. I started my side business of selling oxycotton. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Your side business, okay. So you were an entrepreneur, young. Self-employed. Self-employed. Okay, and what happened after the? What happened then? After I got arrested, I got sober. Really. Mm-hmm. And what did that look like? And how? I entered into drug court mm-hmm. because. I had to. Well, at this point, you're probably 18. I'm going to guess. Right? No, I was 20 when I was, was arrested. 20. Okay, so this you'd gone you'd gone three years. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, we, we, so, what? Any reaction from mom at that point? She blamed it on my sister. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Your sister became the scapegoat. Yes. Okay. All right. And did you follow along suit with that? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure did. Yeah, we both did. Yeah. It's it's, it's the evil sister. Okay. Um so you you got arrested, you know, you, you did drug court and and got sober. Tell tell us about the what kind of program you were doing. So, I entered into a 12-step program. Okay. And it created the foundation for my sobriety. Mm-hmm. It was like all of a sudden I was connecting mm-hmm. without drugs and alcohol. You yeah, developed a developed a connection with the community. Yes. Yeah. In this case, the fellowship is yeah the term we use. Okay, great, great. And worked with a sponsor and did those kinds of things. Yeah. Did you take the traditional road? Mm-hmm. Okay. What was that experience like? What did you notice as going through the steps? What what kind of what did you begin to develop an understanding of of self? Um. Yeah. So it was hard. Like. All of a sudden, I'm awake, I'm aware, mm-hmm. and I don't like myself. So I put down the drugs and alcohol, but I was still, I was still bulimic, mm-hmm. and so it was kind of like living a double life. Sure. Well, did other people know that? Did other, did your sponsor know that you had an eating disorder? My sponsor did, okay. but I didn't reach out. I didn't share with other people because I wanted to continue the behavior. This was your secret. It was my secret. Yeah, okay. Okay. And it 
what did it what, what were the feelings what did it bring you can you remember at that time why you were why you were still attached to it it was this form of self medication in a way it was control okay it felt like i had no control of anything going on with like my legal issues and getting sober because i have to because of my legal issues mm-hmm. um did you see you get your sobriety as something you had to do because of legal consequences there was was there or was there any personal drive so, to do that or so at first it was all legal I was so, scared so all all external factors yeah okay. at first it was but as I sobered up and I began to like see think and feel I started doing it because I wanted it mm-hmm. and then and then what what had transpired from there um, you know, you get sober, you get married, and you have a baby, and... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't know that, but go ahead, so this is... The, I didn't I didn't read that in uh, the, well, the big book. <laughs> it's on page 86. <laughs> 86. Let's see. Okay. You know, I thought, okay, it's time for me to be a grown-up. This is what grown-ups do, mm-hmm. so I'm going to do it. Okay. So, where did you meet your... Uh, husband he was my best friend's stepbrother we met at a family reunion really yeah okay um he heard through the grapevine that i was selling meth and he was into meth and that's how we met so you met before you got sober yeah okay we drank and used together oh okay. he, he was arrested when i was arrested too you both were arrested at the same time were you all dating at that time then yeah okay okay so you were you were dating um both got arrested same charges no his was possession possession of a controlled substance <laughs> we had a little we had a big pile of drugs with us i see but so you got the distribution charge? Yeah. Okay. All right. Did drug court, both of you were in drug court or just you? Because... No, just me. Okay. And so take us through then what happened with you. You, 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 you obviously decided, I guess, get married at some point. So we had made this agreement that when we hit a year of sobriety, if we still liked each other, we would get married. We got married. We'd been together for four years. Two of it was sober. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so were you living together this whole time? Or? Yeah. We moved in together when I was 18, and he moved in with two young children. Oh, he had two kids. Yeah. Okay. And how old were they at the time? Eight and six. Okay. So you became instant mom. Yep. So you were instant mom while you were still using. Yeah. Okay. All right, that's that's a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you, you guys get married, and what? You have your own? It, so from the outside, it looked like happily ever after. Mm-hmm. You know, we were married. We had the two kids, the house, the cars, cats. Mm-hmm. It, looked, it looked really good from the outside. You know, we were sober. We were in recovery. We were like this power couple, this power family. Uh-huh. And at first it was. It it was great at first. But Did he know about your binging and purging? He knew about it, but I don't think he knew I was I think he like had a blind eye to it. On purpose or on purpose. Okay. I don't think he knew so how he to deal it. with it. He was a, he was in con- he was on some level consciously ignoring. Yeah. Ignoring it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Silent puker. Silent puker. Okay. So are, are you being serious when you say that, that you could literally do this somewhat undetected? Yeah. Huh. Okay. I guess that's a skill. I'm not sure it's a healthy skill. Well, actually, I know it's not a healthy yeah. skill, but, but yes, I understand. If you're going to, it's one of those things, if you're going to keep secret, you want, you want to do your best not to let other people know. Right. Okay, and then um, take us from there. What what kind of went on? You were in this perfect, supposedly from the outside it looked perfect, you know. Right. Everything was going well. So it was going well, um, and then we decided to have a baby. And I got pregnant, 
really fa- I got pregnant really quick. Um, and I started gaining weight. And so at this point, obviously, I'm sober. Getting, getting, getting pregnant, you gained weight. Getting pr- so I remember going to the doctors, and I'd ask her, "Do I look fat?" Mm-hmm. And she would look at me like, "You're supposed to gain weight." Mm-hmm. But every time I would gain, and I weighed myself obsessively, every time I would gain any weight, I would get a little bit sicker and a little bit worse off. Right. So you, besides, which is not uncommon and goes hand in hand with with some of the eating disorders is this um, body dysmorphia where you saw yourself differently than it was. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. And, and uh, then, then, then what happened? So I quit doing, I quit taking care of myself. I quit reaching out to the recovery community. I started to isolate and I made myself alone. And, like, I had people around me, mm-hmm. but I was very much isolated. Hmm. So when you say I had people around me, are you talking your sober friends or your, your sober community? or Sober community. Okay. Like, I was married. I had the kids. Everybody was there. Mm-hmm. But it's like I wasn't a part of it anymore. Hmm. So you withdrew. I withdrew. You withdrew. Okay. And, and how long did this go on for? The next five years. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. So maybe not five years, but um, I had my son, and he was born sick. What, I, what does that mean? When he was born, he wasn't breathing. No. Okay. They never figured out why, but I gave birth to him, and they took him right away. He went straight to NICU. Okay. I thought I had caused it. So you went into some shame. and Shame. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about that with the shame too. Um I mean this obviously with the the child who's you, you don't know exactly what's going on but you know that there are problems and complications and and then to project onto yourself that this is has something to do with the choices I've made and the substances and those kinds of things. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um but did you have were you also feeling shame about the um the eating disorder too or yeah. Had you compartmentalized that more? No, I was very ashamed of the eating disorder. Um, it didn't just affect me. I thought it was affecting him as well. Oh, as far as his, and his as development. His so, development. Okay. And as a parent, you don't want to hurt your kids. But here I am struggling this battle with myself, mm-hmm. and it's like it spilled over into it. Okay, okay. So he he goes to NICU and then and then what happens from there? Um, I get to take this little baby home, and <laughs> so he, he was okay. Is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was okay. Yeah. He spent a couple of weeks in NICU. They couldn't find anything wrong with him, and he came home. Okay. So, and were you? Did you stay in the hospital, or did you? Uh, so uh, Intermountain Medical, they have like suites yeah. where you can stay. Right. I stayed for a minute, not the whole two weeks, but uh-huh. I stayed at the hospital for a minute. Okay, okay. All right, so you got a new baby, you come home. Is this a new beginning or what? What, what, did, you feel, what did you feel like? What was it? So we get him home and he's a baby. He acts just like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and at about a month old, he started um, projectile vomiting. And I started taking him to the doctor. We went to the doctor probably three times in a week. And they kept telling me, you're just a new mom. Uh Babies throw up. Right. Um, So, okay. I've got this baby that cries and throws up. Mm -hmm. He... Was he keeping anything down? I thought he was. Uh But it turns out he was not. He was starving. Oh, my. I remember it was late one night. I was watching TV. He was in his car seat on the floor, and I looked down, and his soft spot on his head had sunken all the way in. Oh, my. And I put him in the car, and I took him to primaries. Mm-hmm. And they said he was starving to death. Okay. He ended up having pyloric stenosis, uh-huh. and it's where the muscles in his tummy were twisted. 
they had clamped off. Oh my! So he couldn't. He the, he wasn't getting. He wasn't anything. getting anything. So no sustenance at all. No. Okay. They don't know why it happens. It just happens. Mm-hmm. He. We were up at primaries for about two days, and they took him into surgery. Oh my! And. And how old? How 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 far along was he? I mean, how old was he at this point? This was. You. We were, at, I think he, when we went up to primaries, he was about 23 days old, 24 oh days old. Okay. So this is still a newborn, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. He's still new. I just had a baby. I'm uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. He's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so. And where's, uh, what's hubby doing during all this? Wait, what? What's hubby? Where's hubby in during all of this, you know? So he's participating in it. Mm-hmm. He's, he was there. Okay. Okay. So. So he was there supporting you, supporting the baby, yes. doing doing his best to to show up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the surgery happens and guys go back home. It's successful, I'm guessing. Or yeah, it was successful. Okay. He we brought him home and he was eating and doing baby things. <laughs> <laughs> being, being a baby, he being was being a baby. Okay. All right. Okay, and then tell us what happens from there. He so I put everything into this kid, into this baby. Um, I took the mother role very seriously, and he started getting like ear infections. Um, he had a lot of tonsil issues. His tonsils were overgrown, and his adenoids were overgrown. Huh. So at eighteen months, he went in for surgery to have his adenoids removed, and tubes in his ear. Were you still going through some personal beat up about this at this time? I mean, were you had you still were you personalizing his illnesses? Yes. Okay. Um, I thought because of what I had done in my past, mm-hmm. I was being punished. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I have no connection to the program at all. I'm sober, but there's no connection. Clean. Um, yeah, there we go. There we go. You were clean. Well, and you and I have talked about this before, is the, yeah. the, the term sobriety and, and being clean and the difference between them. But so what, what, And whatever one's program is. The, it, we're not here to, by any means, say what's, what's up, up, right or wrong, up or down, black or white or whatever. Um, but that you were, you were not doing anything for yourself, really. And that, under the circumstances, that seems kind of normal. I mean, this is a, a bit of a, a whirlwind from the point of, of going through um, the first couple of weeks in, in NICU. And as you know, I think I, I relate to this because uh, my last two children both spent almost nearly a month in the NICU. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that kind of feeling is what, what's going to happen. Um, and it, it, the idea of, and I'm not, again, this is, again, not thinking that what's right or wrong, but the idea of, of you know, anything outside of just being a mom and taking care of my child, like personal self-care necessarily, what the fuck is that, right? You know, I mean, yeah. I don't have time for personal self-care at this right. point. So was that kind of where you found yourself? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I was busy taking care of the kids. Mm-hmm. And oh I, yeah, and you had the other two kids as well. Besides yeah. this, so you had two young children uh, in addition yeah. to this. I had three kids, I was taken care of. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So what things then? Kind of did they settle down, or did you? What? Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> is there a twist coming up? <laughs> so after he had his adenoids removed, they gave him a a prescription. Mm-hmm. Of liquid Lortab. Lucky him. We were all very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> when you say we, I'm gonna let um, you explain who who that we is. He after a few days, I started giving him Tylenol, and I drank his liquid Lortab. He did. Okay. I went back out. Yeah. The term back out. Actually, I was in at the time. So I went back out in the house with my newborn son, Liquid Loritab. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention that that could bring along some shame associated with it, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one thing to 
be using my own drugs, but to be using my son's drugs. That's a whole other story, right? Yes. So you went back out. What, what, what happened from there? Um, once I took the liquid Lortab, it was on. I thought, well, I really messed up this time, so I'm just going to go for it. Okay. Started drinking. I found a doctor that would prescribe me whatever I wanted. What was your husband doing at this time? Did he know? I don't know where he was at this point. <laughs> there was a disconnect. <laughs> okay. Okay. But he was, I mean, he, he he was working or going back to work or whatever. Yeah. After the, you know, it took some time, obviously, with the with you in the hospital and the baby in the yeah. hospital and those kinds of things. But he had gone back to work and so he didn't know you had relapsed, I guess is what you're saying. No. Okay. So I ended up quitting my job. Mm-hmm. to stay home. So I was with the kids all the time. He was working a lot so that he could support our family. Okay. So he was he was doing what he thought it should be doing, which is true, and, and doing those kinds of things. Right. You were home. Uh, what happened when you got through the uh, the child, uh, or tab liquid? I started drinking. Okay. Drinking and the prescription drugs. Okay. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom. I was a soccer mom, track mom, very involved in the schools and very intoxicated. Very intoxicated. So I, we, I say this, and you and I are smiling about this at the same time, but this is, I'm, I'm sorry to say, is not an uncommon norm for, you know, for stay, for especially for stay-at-home moms um, in our culture today, okay. that they they find themselves, you know, self-medicating you know, they've you know in the water bottle or whatever is the vodka and uh, and um, you know the pills and you know the, the definitely and even though today maybe it's a little bit more difficult um, to get you know certain kinds of medication, it's still accessible. Yeah, so, and that's kind of where you found yourself. Yeah. Okay. And how long did that go on for? Uh, a few years. Oh. A couple years, few years. Okay. And kids are kind of just the routines were in place so you were able to maintain those yeah so my older kids they were in their teenage years at this point Mm -hmm. they'd made their own friends they were off doing whatever teenagers do yeah okay and it was just my son and i (coughs) and it just it was easy Mm -hmm. uh brandon was always gone and it was just Brennan's your husband, we should oh, say. Oh, yeah, you mentioned sorry. his name before, so. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> um, it just became the new norm. Okay. And still, no, as far as you knew, Brandon didn't know, or? No. He, yeah. Well, he says he didn't know. Okay, okay. Um, and this went on for a couple of years? Yeah. And then what happened? So I was talking to a family member who is sober, mm-hmm. and she asked if I was drunk because I was slurring my words, mm-hmm. and I told her no, and the next day she called me out on it again and offered to pay for me to go to detox. Because she knew something wasn't right. She knew something wasn't right, and the thing about it was is she lived in California, so these were phone conversations. My goodness. So everybody around me, not my parents, not my siblings, nobody knew I was drinking or using. But she was able to detect it through the phone. Fascinating. How did, okay, and how did you feel? that? Well, did you, then you were honest with her when she offered to pay? What did you... What did, what? I got honest with her. It was, it was almost a relief. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have I to don't do have, this anymore. I don't have to hide this anymore? Yeah. Okay. So... I, yeah, I got ready and I went to detox. Okay. And from there, tell us what, what transpired. I um, reconnected with 12-step program. Mm-hmm. I did outpatient treatment. Mm-hmm. And life got really horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and you're laughing about it today. I got sober and it got bad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was. What I was, was bad? So I was doing the same things. I still had the eating disorder. Mm-hmm. 
I was doing the same things, but now I'm aware. I'm Oh, so the shame is you're saying the shame's becoming more upfront. Yeah, yeah the shame present. came to the surface again and yeah. I was like, Oh shit. Like here I am, I'm still me. Mm-hmm. I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And I began to create chaos. Oh. Yeah. A master of your own. Yes. So at this point, my marriage is falling apart. Um, Were you guys arguing and fighting at this point? I mean, mean, obviously he then knew that, you know. Yeah, at that point, yeah, when I went to detox. Yeah, you you go to detox. Oh, so you're using again? I mean, I called. I called him in the car on the way to detox and said, hey, guess what? I'm drunk. Mm -hmm. And he said, what? He thought mm-hmm. I was sober. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I told him that I had relapsed. <laughs> <laughs> On my way to detox. On my way to <laughs> detox. <laughs> FYI. And grandma has the kids. <laughs> Grandma's got the kids. On my way to detox and I'm drunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and have been for, did you give him any details or history at that point? Not at that point. Okay. And what, what was his reaction? I'm curious. I think he fell apart a little bit. Yeah. Um he came and visited me in detox and like we were talking and stuff but we were so disconnected from each other mm-hmm. it was it was weird hmm. so there was already this you you were already withdrawn from the marriage in some certain ways yeah okay all right um, you weren't being vulnerable with each other anymore. Obviously, you weren't being honest with each other right. on some levels. Right. Um, and had he been dabbling in anything at this point? Or No, okay. he, at that point, had been sober for... Was he working any kind of program? He was. Okay. So he kind of looked like the, he was the good guy, right? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you need to be like me. Okay. All right. All right. So you got out and did outpatient, got back in the program, but still this sense of shame, something's not right. And what what, what happened then? I was still active in my eating disorder. It's like it didn't matter what was going on in my life. That was always there. Uh-huh. And I got sick. I'm clean. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm doing what I'm what is suggested of me. I'm going to meetings, I'm doing the sponsor thing, I'm sponsoring women, and I'm still bulimic. Mm-hmm. I'm still binging and purging. Were any of, I'm curious if any of the, your sponsees or the young or the women you were working with ha- had any of the similar issues? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course they did, and I had my experience to share with them. You did? So you did, you did, guys, you did, you did, talk to them about this i did Mm -hmm. i don't know that they realized i was active Mm -hmm. but i had had a lot of experience with it okay all right so you're sponsoring you're uh you're you're living somewhat the program except you still have this this secret Mm -hmm. through all of this you still have this secret yeah so what happens then um the marriage falls apart. It's it's done now. There's no going back. A mm-hmm. um, couple uni trips. Mm-hmm. I just, I got sick. And mental illness was a big part in it. Mm-hmm. And I ended up in uni. Okay. Um, so w- you were having... Um, some breakdowns or suicidal I was suicidal Um, I was sick Mm -hmm. I was very thin I wasn't eating I was just I was sick okay and difficult to maintain sort of the the sanity at this at this point yeah okay so this is uh, this is a pretty dark point yeah okay um and I know I've heard you, you you talk about your your trips to uni as you know vacations, uh, but in the moment when these things are happening, it doesn't feel that way. Of course, no. no. Um, and and what else did you did you did, were you exploring this at this point that, that you began to understand? When did you start connecting the the dots that 
what you need to do differently? I think, so Brandon and I split up. I mm -hmm. moved in with a family member. I had just gotten out of uni for the second time. And I remember sitting there thinking, something's got to change because I don't want to live this way. Mm -hmm. I was still suicidal at that point. And it was weird because it was like I got to the point where I didn't want to live, but I didn't want to die. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to be me. Just didn't want to be. Yeah, if, but you didn't want, you didn't really want to kill yourself. No. Which is the, this is a, a, a very common sort of perplexing dilemma where um, we hear that, you know, I don't want to live anymore, um, but I don't have a plan to, to, to end it. Right. And um, so I don't really want to die, but I don't want to live. Right. Which is, it just, it's, it's, it's such a dilemma because it often just gets down into a funk of, of depression. So what, what was, when you got out, when you got out of uni, and by the way, uni, uh, for those of you that are wondering what that term is, I, I know it gets talked about a lot here and then on the show, um, is the University Neurological Institute. So, um, where people go to, uh, detox as well as get help for mental health issues. Um, great staff up there. So what was the diagnosis? What did you come out with at that, that point? So I don't think I had like a name to a mm -hmm. diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, they were kind of saying bipolar, but they weren't sure. sure. And so I came out with a slew of medications. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. Mm -hmm. They worked. Mm. The medication worked. I... I don't know that I, well, like I started feeling better, but it wasn't just the medication. I got busy. Mm -hmm. And I think I got busy to avoid the fact that my marriage was over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I got married, I thought I'd be married forever. Mm -hmm. And here. Till death do us part? Huh? The till death do us part? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And up to that point, I just feel like the wreckage was so big uh -huh. that there wasn't going back. Right, there's, it becomes a, a moment where all of a sudden marriage really isn't a Disney movie, you know. Yeah. Um, that uh, that we have to, we deal with reality instead of the fantasy of it. So you did try to reconcile, though, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you guys did, did give it a, a go. Yeah, we gave it a good couple years after that. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, so any, anything, any, anything else that you kind of came out of that with in that, that, that period that, you know, sort of like you, you felt was a basis to move forward from. I mean, um, I mean, I, I get that, you know, getting the, the support and the help from um, doctors at uni, and, um, but the, what I'm kind of interested in is you had an amazing sponsor. I mean, uh, you know, somebody who I, I, I think, no. is this, have you, have, have you had the, Kate as your sponsor for most of the year? Yeah, so I think I was about six or seven months when I met Kate uh -huh. and asked her to be my sponsor. Uh -huh. And she's been my sponsor ever since. Yeah. She is incredible. Yeah, amazing woman. Amazing woman. Uh, and now a professional worm farmer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so today. Today things are a lot different than they were. Yes. This is a few years ago, right? Yes. Um, and your your life, I mean, one of the things that we, we talked about when you first came in was a conversation that you had with a, a friend of, you know, you because you have somebody new in your life right now, right? And, yes. And so, um, it, and this is different, right? And yes. I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was something along the the guys or the, the idea that, you know... Um, you you wondered why you you know ended up with somebody so healthy in your life right now, and I think the feedback was well because that's who you are right now that you're the you're this healthy person. Yeah. So what? How did you? How how did you kind of come to this place and and feel become okay with yourself? I got active in my recovery, mm -hmm. um, and it's not just recovery; it's recovery from addiction. Yeah. Um, I'm in recovery from bulimia today. 
<laughs> I do not binge and purge. And, like, I have slip-ups here and there. But it's not, it doesn't have a grasp on me today. Sure, yeah. Well, uh, it's not It's not daily, right? I mean, right. You know, which is where it was a few years ago, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I'm sober. Mm-hmm. And it was, so it was a lot of help from Kate. Mm-hmm. She, like, directed me and guided me and called me on my shit. Mm-hmm. I got active in my recovery and... I became a part of, I became a part of the recovery community. Yeah, yeah. So recently, one of the things is, um, and, and I, you and I talked a little bit about this, is there has been this sort of shift in your life, not, um, you know, sort of what happens um, that's maybe, and I don't, this is not said disrespectful in any way, so I want to, I want to clarify that. But there's something that happens for, for, that happened for you, if you don't mind me sharing this, but it's too late. Um, beyond, <laughs> beyond 12 step. I mean, beyond yeah. that. That it, it doesn't mean you don't embrace that community and doesn't mean that, you know, you don't, um, you know, have strong connections and support within it. But something happened, you know. And I'm not talking about the book here. I'm talking about you. Right. So, yeah. I I feel like there's more. Um, the 12-step program is the foundation of my recovery. Sure. sure. But there's more. We, or I, continue to grow and continue to evolve mm-hmm. beyond. Because mm-hmm. I, I think for a long time that, that idea of anything outside of that was, was, was a struggle, right? Well, so. yeah. Um, Which is not uncommon. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I don't mean it from, you know, that, that but the, the idea that there is more, right? That there's right. more available to you um, and to make that shift. And it seems to have changed so much yeah. for you. So Yeah, it has. Um. So uh, when you, when you, uh, when you, um, when you finally decided to divorce and, and, and you left your husband and you, you moved in with your mom. Yes, <laughs> I moved in okay. with my mom. So this is like how many years since you had lived with your mom? I mean, we're talking, you know, a, a, a bit, right? Yeah. yeah, 13, 14 years. Yeah. And today the, you guys have a, a different relationship than you did as, I mean, not not that it changes, you're always her daughter, but you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's different today. Yes. Um, my mom is incredible. She is... everything I needed growing up. She is, she's a mom. Mm -hmm. She nurtures me. She attempts to take care of me. (laughs) Does her, she does her best to try to take care of you, right? (laughs) On the way down here today, I couldn't find my keys. Uh And she's like, it's okay, honey, I'll give you a ride. And I'm like, mom, I can walk if I need to. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. awesome. I have an amazing relationship Mm -hmm. with my mom. Yeah. Which is 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 probably redemption in some ways for both of you, because I, you know the you're, as a child you you didn't know that her in that way, but to have it kind of take you know full circle and come back around to a place where she actually showed up in your life as a mom, yeah, and was present. When the divorce happened, my mom really stepped up, and that's when we began to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. She was very supportive. She let me move home with my son. And just over the last couple of years, we've gotten really close. Mm. Beautiful. Okay. All right, we're going to shift gears a little bit. Okay. For a moment. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the victim narrative, you know, what your experience of that is. Um, especially through all this up and down and, and chaos and, and turmoil that you describe in your story, which is a very powerful story. Um, when, when did you, at what, what point did you, you begin to kind of understand the difference between accountability and, and, and victim, victim stance or, 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 or victimhood? So I think it started... I started to have an awareness after the divorce. Um, You know, I moved home. I'm now middle-aged. 
And I remember kind of thinking or processing of, I don't want to feel like shit anymore. Mm-hmm. And if I don't want to feel like shit, then I need to take some accountability and I need to basically grow up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was so busy blaming everybody else and, oh, woe is me. Like, <laughs> if you had my life, you'd be fucked up too. <laughs> yeah. If you were married to my wife, you'd drink too, right? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, and no, I mean, that's not true. But it's it's a great, um, I think it's Rodney Dangerfield that said that, but I, I could be wrong. But that whole idea of, you know, I'm not responsible. It was crazy because it was like for the first time in my life, it was just me. I was stuck with me. <laughs> and I didn't like it. There was there was no one else to blame anything on. Yeah. yeah that kind of transformational moment went, well, who? I can only blame so much on the ex for, you know, for only so long. I mean, though, <laughs> there are moments, I guess, for some people where they hang on to the blaming their ex. So that, that I mean, that transfer, that's a transformational point when we we can grasp accountability for, you know, our part. In things. Right. So. Right. I remember thinking, I did this. Like, I did this. <laughs> yeah, this, <laughs> this was my doing, actually. Yeah, this didn't happen to me. All of yeah. it. It was like, holy holy shit, what have I been doing for the last 34 years? <laughs> a beautiful moment. A beautiful, a beautiful moment. Okay. So think about um, a time in your life um, where it may be a time, a more difficult time or a darker time where you had that moment or sort of a, a realization um, that that person you were being wasn't really the authentic April. It wasn't really you. Do you, do you remember moments like that at all? Where I, you sort of had an epiphany like that? I do. I remember, um, I remember thinking, I shouldn't be doing this. Like the shame. I didn't want to be like my mom. I didn't want to be like my sister. Mm -hmm. And yet here I am doing it, doing mm -hmm. the same thing. And so I would try harder, but I wouldn't give up that life. It's mm -hmm. like I thought I could do better while I was smoking crack. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'm going to do a better job, you know. And then smoke a little crack, and then I'll do a better job again, and things will be... Right, and it was like, I would get to the point where I'd be like, okay, I can't smoke crack anymore, I can't, I can't do this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something different. And I would just switch addictions, whether it was the bulimia or the drugs, there was always one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's like I was always trying to run and get away from one of them. Well, I think that, that, that's, a, that's a common scenario, too. I mean, this idea of cross-addiction. Right. Um, one of the biggest things that the people in early recovery cross addict to often is just relationships. You know, they they find themselves enmeshed in a relationship that brings them the same kind of feeling. You know, right. that they they were getting from the drugs. The brain, you know, the brain does that. Um, uh, so that, that definitely that definitely can can make sense. The powerfulness of feeling the control of an eating disorder is is what's so amazing that. That that happens. That you know, people find themselves doing that, repeating it because the sense of I think those are your words, I believe, a sense of control that, that came out of it. So, or some people cut too, you know, mm -hmm. and they get there's a sense of control with that as well, mm -hmm. you know, that happens. So, um, I don't think I asked you that during today, but did you have any experiences with that? With self harm? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Besides the eating. Besides the bulimia, which is a form of, of self-harm, of course, too. Yes, yeah. uh, I was a cutter. You were a cutter? Yeah. Okay. How long? It started around the time of the bulimia starting. So this is in your teenage years? Yeah. It was in my teenage years, yeah. and it carried into adulthood. Okay. Okay. And did they stop around the same time, or did one stop before the other? I'm curious. Uh, the cutting stopped... Oh, quite a bit of time before the bulimia stopped mm -hmm. okay okay all right um okay next uh move, moving on we're gonna keep going where um what what is uh what anything that kind of brings you distress or disruption in your life these days anything that you know you you still like to exercise away 
And when I say exercise, I'm not talking about physical exercise. <laughs> I'm absolutely not saying you have to bring a priest in either, but you know, the things that you would you'd like to... What, what, what bugs you today? Um, the noise and chaos stress me out. When I get moving too quickly with like my job, mm-hmm. my new relationship. So in March, I got a new job. I got a new boyfriend, a new routine. Wow, one, in all in one month. I did it all in one month. Way to go. Rock star. <laughs> go get her. Go get her. Yeah. And it was a lot. And I found myself falling back into, you're not good enough. You're going to mess this up anyways, so you might as well do it now. But the difference is... is Interesting, yes. I'm aware of it today. Uh-huh. And as that voice pops into my head, I can stop it. Hmm. Beautiful, yeah. Beautiful. Which is the so you, you. What is change in conversation? Okay, so going from okay, so you're gonna you're gonna fuck it up, but all of a sudden, oh wait, no, I deserve to have all these things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to fuck up all this stuff because I actually deserve this. Yeah, I worked for it. You did. Um, when that pops into my head, I'm just like, no, like. It's not true. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Yeah. It's it's a false statement. It's yeah. a false statement. But one that I mean, as as uh, as as we as humans begin to explore the the nature of their belief systems, one that gets often taught at a very young age, but and parts of this throughout all the work that that we do, and and uh, you know all the all the ups and downs, and all the trials and the tribulations coming out, that still noticing that some of these old belief systems still linger around from time to time. It's just fascinating how they do. All right, um let's quickly uh touch upon um how you find how you find joy. How do you you know, where where do you find joy in life these days? Um I think just in everything I have. I find joy in my children. I find joy well not in my job. I find joy Well some people do. I mean, yeah. I think it's inside. It's like an inside thing now. It's inside job, huh? Inside job. Congratulations. It's like I have all of this outside stuff and it's all really mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. But unless I'm whole and unless I'm taking care of myself, all that doesn't matter. Yeah, of, of course. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a, a perfect example of that joys, you know, happiness is an inside job. It's not something, I mean, there's things in the outside world that, you know, I can feel happiness about, but it does ultimately start inside me. Right. Yeah, which is the beautiful part. And that, that leads into the next one is that, you know, how do you, how do you connect to your, that Zen space, that Zen zone for you? What, what do you do? What do you do today to connect to um, that, that peace and, that you for I, yourself? Okay, so I, uh, I pray and I meditate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I connect to a higher source, my God. Sure. Well, let's go right into God then. Why? Why, 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 why waste this moment? So, God. Yeah. Um, higher power. You know, the universe, nature, yeah. whatever. Um, you f- you find that. So you pray. Yeah. Do you do you identify? God in any particular way in your life? Does it represent anything particular? So God for me is not this mystical creature in the <laughs> sky. It's the universe. It's energy. Okay. It's energy. Um, energy never dies. It transfers. And so that's where I put like my trust and my, my faith. So kind of an, 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 uh, an agnostic approach. Yeah. Meaning that... Um, you don't identify it necessarily as a deity of some kind, you know, or right. you know, a, a monotheistic um, representation. You you see it in things all around you, right? Okay, but you do believe in in some sense in in a, in a god or a higher power that is yeah. surround you. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, beautiful. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's uh, let's we'll move on to the the one of the last areas we talk about. And that is um, music, and I did. We did talk about this briefly beforehand. Um, so, April, if there's a, a playlist uh, of your life or a few songs that that represent your 
your journey in, in some way or if uh, there were to be a life celebration uh, for you, what, what, what would, what's, what, what one or two songs that, that may represent that? So the album I think represents like me and my life would be Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> Wouldn't that be ironic? <laughs> I like the song where it sings, my sweater's on backwards and inside out. Uh-huh. That pretty much sums up my life. <laughs> but she's also, she's very powerful. She's very insightful. Do I stress you out? My sweater is on backwards and inside out. And you say, hi, hi, how appropriate. And, and, and very strong. Very strong woman. Yeah, she is. By, by any means, by all means. Um, okay, anything else that you want to you wanna add to that or... Okay. No. Okay. No. All right. Perfect. Um, well, thank you, bro. I really appreciate you uh, taking part of your Saturday morning to to join us on uh, just another bozo on the bus. Um, I, I will say, in all full disclosure, April and I have known each other for five years or so. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's a uh, it's an honor to to watch your journey and and the beautiful process that you've gone through to. Uh, you know, find your your Zen zone to live in. So, all right. With that, we will, uh, as we always do here um, at Just Another Bozo on the Bus, go out with a little Joan Osborne. Have a great week. Thanks, April. Thank you. Okay. <laughs>